With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm Mark Colvey, your host, and I am not here alone. I've got the team here. We're just missing Chanel. But uh, yeah, we're ready to do another another trivia here in a little bit. We're going to introduce a few little topics in the news of immigration. And the first one we want to touch on is this issue with Roxham Road and this recent closure um, that is in the news. Cedric, do you want to touch on that one? Yeah, well, well, thank you, Mark, and, and thanks guys, again, guys, for joining us for another trivia. Roxham Road, March 2023, huge discussion about the closure, right? Um, <clears throat> as a brief recap, uh, uh, in, uh, in 2016 and 2017, there was a large influx of asylum seekers that were crossing between port of entries or, you know, some may say irregular border crossings coming to Canada to seek for asylum, and it created... Um, huge huge amount of asylum seekers inside canada with a backlog at some point reaching a hundred thousand individuals at the immigration refugee board and over the years it's been litigated by uh, the canadian association of refugees lawyer and others and now it's in front of the supreme court in terms of the third safe country agreement um you know so canada you know uh, from a geography perspective we benefit immensely from our location Right, as compared to other countries, and uh, resettlement programs that we have across uh, is some of the biggest. I think the biggest resettlement program compared to other countries. But this is just resettlement, right? So Canada actively going abroad to take refugees to bring them to Canada. As we talk about individuals coming to Canada, right? They had this agreement with the United States that if an asylum seeker comes to the United States first, they're expected to make the refugee claim in the United States, and they would be they couldn't make a refugee claim inside Canada, right? So people are crossing between port of entries into Canada to make these refugee claims to circumvent the safe third country agreement. And so it's gonna be really interesting to see how it plays out in terms of asylum seekers inside Canada. I think it's gonna be very difficult for individuals to, to, to do so. Um, if you make it at a port of entry, and you've already in the United States, it's uh, it's much more difficult. Um, so, we're, so we're gonna see how this works out. And we're, we're learning today on March uh, 28th that the agreement was actually signed about a year ago uh, with the United States uh, and announced uh, most recently. Um, so very interesting developments. We'll see how, how it goes for, uh, for, for practitioners, right? So for individuals like us, uh, immigration consultants and lawyers, how can we continue to help those fleeing persecution, right? For the government as well, how can we continue to help those uh, abroad, you know, Canada benefiting from its uh, from its position in the world? How can we increase resettlement uh, to help those fleeing persecution? Um, Alicia, your comments. Yeah, it's, I used to do more refugee work. Um, I've moved away from it since, and we're focusing more on the economic side of things now at Holthy Immigration Law. But for sure, this is always of concern. I mean, it's people's lives that are at stake. And it is very disturbing that irregular border crossings or the ones that people know about that are maintained, that are safe, that are ones that are set up to process asylum seekers or in Canada refugee claimants, these are now shut down. And so it means that a whole bunch of people will be without an option. And it is very difficult for individuals fleeing persecution to be able to make that claim. And 
Of course, under international law, Canada has to be able to receive people who are making refugee claims at a port of entry or within its borders. Um, but making a port of entry claim is now going to be significantly more difficult for many people. All right, next item on the agenda is the extension of the QUET program. So Igor and I had uh, an opportunity to connect in when the minister was making this amazing announcement that was heralded as this event that no one should miss. So we scrambled, cleared consults, made sure we set up our live stream as a, as a watch party. And what was the unbelievable news that the minister had? Yeah, basically the news could be all fit into one small Twitter post um, saying that the Kuwait program is extended until July 15th. But again, they decided to make it as a live announcement. And long story short, the program was set to expire on March 31st this year, and it was unknown as to what's going to happen to those people who land after this date, whether they will get their work permits, whether they will be eligible for financial assistance. Now we do have some clarity and you will have to apply for Kuwait until July 15th, but then you will have until March 31st, 2024. So one more year to come to Canada. And this also applies to everyone who is inside Canada. They will have until March 31st, 2024 to apply to extend or change their status in Canada through the special measures. Um, also, what is important is that March 31st, 2025, so two more years, this is the date when Ukrainians will stop getting the settlement services that are normally reserved for permanent residents in Canada. What is unknown and unclear from the minister's announcement is what's going to happen to those people who have approved visas that were issued for 10 years will they be able to travel to canada after march 31st so technically their visa is still valid like the expiry date that that will be shown on the visa would be let's say um march 1st 2028 but will they be able to come to canada or will they be treated just as regular visitors that's, and that's it's interesting, Go it's ahead, interesting Igor, because just recently they have, IRCC has set out kind of a little bit of a clarification on extending the Canada-Ukraine authorization for emergency travel and other supports. And they do say March 31st, 2024 is the last day to travel to Canada with a visa issued under CUAET. Those with a visa have until March 31st, 2024 to travel to Canada under the special measures. So it might be that everybody's got to get in by next year and that's it. If you yeah. applied for that visa, but haven't actually traveled, it seems like they're saying next year is going to be the cutoff for getting physically into the country. Interesting thing with all of this is it's just dependent upon what happens with this war. Uh, you know, we take the initial announcement, those of you who I think maybe maybe the uh, immigration department is trying, hoping people will forget, but one of the pillars to the announcement when they announced the Quet visa was the permanent residence family sponsorship. And they said they would, more details would be released shortly. I don't know what the exact words, maybe in the coming weeks or months or something, whatever their standard spiel is. But we've heard nothing about that. And in that meeting, one of the things that stood out when the minister had 
you know, all of the nice people behind him. And they were at the, uh, as Igor and I pointed out, the, the coffee shop, which is really an outreach kind of settlement place to, to help um, Ukrainian nationals who are coming into Canada kind of get their feet underneath them. And when we were attending this, someone brought up the question of PR and things like that. And the biggest takeaway that I got from that message that the minister, uh, that announcement that he made, was that it's it's very unlikely that we're going to see any kind of a special PR program, given the fact there are almost a million people, probably just about there, who have applied for this visa. And what, we're just about 500,000 that have been approved. And, you know, how many have traveled? I, you know, the numbers are probably... 000. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot, and our levels plans are not designed or built for that many permanent residents to be transitioned. And the minister also hinted on the fact that um, they are in discussions with their, you know, with their counterparts in Ukraine, um, you know, on on what they do. And obviously, the country, you know, if this war can come to an end here shortly, is going to be keenly interested in people coming back to help rebuild, and uh, instead of people transitioning to permanent residence in all these other countries that they're in. And so I have to imagine that anything that IRCC does in the future is going to be, you know, it's going to be in, in consultation with officials in Ukraine. And uh, so we'll see how it plays out. Everything we're talking about today could be completely different a year from now. All right, let's shift gears to something a lot of people are talking about lately. Uh, and what has transpired March 15th and March 23rd are the second largest ever rounds of invitation. Seems like it changes every time we do it. Um, I guess technically tied for second to 7,000 uh, volume draws invitations issued to 7,000 people on the 15th. They had delayed for a while. They had gone uh, between no program specified draws. The last one that they had done was actually back in January on January the 18th. And in that time there was a PNP and then that strange federal skilled worker one, which we talked about, on February the 2nd, and then two more PNPs on Mar on February the 15th and March the 1st. And then just when people thought, oh, the minister must be transitioning to no programs, uh, the no program specified draws, or I should say to the, to the, um, uh, the, the actual um, sp specific program specific draws or targeted draws, then he opens up 7,000 spots. So on March the 15th, it was 490 CRS. And then we thought, okay, well, it'll be two weeks before we get another one. Oh, no, March the 23rd, another 7,000, which dropped it down to 484, which is, you know, low the, the lowest it's been in a very, very long time. And so one thing we've learned from this is that uh, it's pretty much impossible to predict what the uh, Department uh, Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada is going to do and the minister is going to do with these draws. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe we'll see another one here on... Uh, on the 29th, who knows? I guess we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out. Um, but yeah, the future, uh, the minister in also in that uh, in that Quet announcement, I think it was in that one. He also hinted that uh, the um, uh, the targeted draws would be commencing in the second half of the year, which was once again a shift from his comment that it was going to start in the spring. So. You know, so come June, don't don't expect to have seen probably any targeted draws. But who knows? Maybe because I've talked about it now, he'll do something uh, tomorrow. So there we have it. So that's kind of a little a little snapshot of some things that are in the news. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other interesting stories that you want to share before we transition to trivia. But uh, it's been um, it's been a very very busy week on my front. 
I think the one thing I wanted to add was there appears to have been yet another glitch in that last draw. So we were hearing from other colleagues that sometimes those invitations to apply on the March 23rd draw didn't actually go out until March 24th. But if you had a CRS score that was higher than 484 and you still haven't gotten an invitation to apply, then for sure follow up because something should have been sent to you. But it did seem like they said because of the large volume, they had a delay in sending out ITAs, which is very weird. But um, hopefully everybody will have received them by March 24th. That is the hope. All right. Well, it is that time again. We'll take a short little break uh, for our sponsor, and then we'll be coming back with the next episode of the, uh, the trivia, Canadian Impossible Trivia. And now a message from our sponsor. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for ICTs, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantage is reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing. Or even better, try out their work. I know I have. You can visit their website at www.journey.ca. That's J-O-O-R-N-E-Y.ca. And mention you listen to my podcast. Use the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And it will provide you with a 10% discount on the first business plan for new lawyers. All right. Thanks so much, Journey. We really appreciate your sponsorship. And by all means, you guys, check them out. All right, people. This time has come again. Every two weeks, we host our episode of the Canadian Immigration Trivia, and I would also call it the Impossible Trivia. Yeah, do that. Nobody can answer those questions, except for Alicia. Except Alicia. Alicia. Is, yeah, two-time champion. Alicia, I don't share think your I'm, secret. I don't think I'm going to brag very much because I think I was barely batting fifty percent. So. Yeah, yeah, but the questions are very hard. I mean, um, I've asked my wife the same questions. She actually got quite a few answers right. She she guessed golf as the most played sport in Canada. No way. This time so we, we need, also so have... basically Igor, what we need is the Tatiana yeah. index. So you oh, ask yes. her the questions before we do our podcast, and then you can let us know how many she got, and that should give us theoretically about half of where our winner should be. So you'll have to you'll have to do that to her. Sounds like a deal. Sounds like a deal. I'll prepare that for the next episode of the trigger. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, guys. So if you're ready, here is the first question of our 10 impossible questions for this trivia episode. Yes, the first question is Canada has 2860 of these 
twice as many as in the United States. What are we talking about here? So, what does Canada have? Twice as many as the United States has, and there is exactly 2,860 of these things in Canada. Well, we know it's not lakes because that's like yeah. infinite number. Two trillion, two billion. Yeah. Yeah. So there are 2,860 of these things in Canada. And this number is twice as high as in the U.S. What category is this in? I would put it in the category of culture. Okay, so that's important, Igor. Versus, uh, you know, what do we have? Culture, history, geography. Yes. And yeah. culture and immigration. And immigration. I just didn't want to give it this as a hint in the very beginning because otherwise you would think of mountains probably, and that would be a wrong answer. So yes, 2,860 of these, and this number is more than twice as many as in the United States. I don't have a I don't have a chance. I'm, I'm not getting this one. At first, I thought oh, seriously. At first, I thought I had a shot, but not any longer. What is going on? This is brand new. I'm stalling to give Cedric more time to think about it. <laughs> I thought I had an answer, and then Cedric escaped. I think you're. Oh yeah, sorry, I was muted. Yeah, it's. Uh, I thought I had an answer, but then when he said culture, I had to uh, to rule it out and come up with a new one. Um, but I'm ready if, if Mark's ready. Cedric, okay, well, I'm ready. Answering. Guess how many lakes there are in Canada? Uh, I know that we have more lakes than all the other countries combined, so I'm going to go with twenty uh, thousand. <laughs> yeah, we were about there, like times twenty something. Really? Wow. It's two million lakes. <sighs> Jeez. All right, well, All right. I'm ready to show my answer if you're ready to show your answer. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. So, on three, two, one, you can reveal the answers. Okay, so Mark says, Ice Arenas. Prem, what is your answer? I don't have an answer. <laughs> okay, NHL <laughs> players say Cedric, and then Alicia says, Town mascots. Okay, so we have a winner. Oh. And how, how do you think? Who is the winner? I think Cedric actually got it right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think Mark But, is a good one too. Yeah. Mark is the winner. Oh. We oh. have 2,860 ice rinks. But this is the number of indoor ice rinks. And we mm. have more than 5,000 outdoor ice rinks as well. Isn't that cool? And, yeah, Almost it is. That, that's interesting. I remember when I went to law school in Winnipeg, obviously there's no shortage of outdoor ice rinks in Winnipeg. So the weather stays cool enough to keep that ice just fine. And I remember during law school on Saturday mornings, I'd go with some buddies and we'd go play hockey in one of the outdoor arenas. As a kid, I remember we had an outdoor arena in my small little village of Carmen Gay population, like 220 people. 
And we could maybe skate, I don't know, maybe four or five times in a winter. Because even then, the, the Chinook would come, the warm wind, it would melt the ice. And half the time we were skating, we were falling through, stepping on the grass because it was just flooded grass. Or, uh, or there was a film of water over the top where the guy taking care of it thought, hey, I'll flood the ice today. And then it basically just was a swamp. So <laughs> I'm really sad I changed my answer because I had hockey rinks and then I was like, no, no, it, it, that's sports. It's not culture. I'm going to change it to like town mascots because, you know, you drive by any yes. little town in, in Canada and there's always like the giant Easter egg or, you know, the giant T-Rex or what have you. But yes, you're right, Mark. There are rinks everywhere. And actually, my husband is on the rink crew for our community. And so they have a little mini Zamboni and they go out there and they're flooding the rink and they're making sure that they're shoveling the rink and the community, the kids love it. So it's perfect. Very cool. So Alicia alluded to two mascots. So one, anyone who has practiced immigration for years will have remembered the day when the Central Processing Center at least for in-Canada applications, was located in Vegreville, Alberta, where the uh, the fine Easter egg is located. The largest Easter egg, I guess, is there, what they're holding out. And then south of, Al- of Alberta, Milk River has the, the T-Rex, and that's actually where I taught high school for one year was in Milk River. So some more interesting anecdotes. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember when we first landed in February 2020, um, we went for a little walk around the downtown and it seemed like every single neighborhood had an ice rink. I mean, for every five buildings, you would have an ice rink. At least that was my first impression of Canada. And it was like minus 25 outside. I was freezing, couldn't stick my nose out of the jacket, had to cover my face completely, just kept my eyes open. And all of a sudden I see people wearing shorts, you know, and just skating on an ice rink. And I'm like, those people are crazy. And I'm one of them. Just down the street, they, they actually have, they flooded the, the street and blocked off uh, an area. It's, it's closed right now because it's been too warm and the ice melted. But uh, ironically, it's cold today again. But yeah, just literally down the street from where my office is downtown here, they have a little area for skating they're trying to revitalize the downtown core here in lethbridge yeah great question congratulations mark congratulations we're now ready for the second question and this one may be even a little easier for it so quebec is the world's top producer of this condiment yeah i guess everyone will get it right so what does Quebec produce more than anyone else in the world? And on three, two, one, you can show your answers. Maple syrup. Congratulations, everyone. Everyone got it right. So one point goes to all four of you. Good job, Prem. Prom- Good job, Prem. Prem's quietly sitting in the background there. He's like, yes, I finally got one. I think Prem's going to be the dark horse. He's going to come from behind. I was going to say, Igor, it's fascinating now to see how they're harvesting the maple syrup. We went with our family a few years ago. My brother and sister-in-law and and, uh, nieces live in Ottawa. And we went to a maple syrup farm. And they now have 
whole systems, it's like an irrigation system in reverse, right? So they're running all these pipes between each of the trees and then they have all the whole drip system, which is collecting all of, all of the maple syrup. And so when the spring happens and it starts to run, it's really, really neat to go see what's happening. Um, and then of course they have things like cabana sucre and I'm sure Cedric, you're, a, you're an Ottawa Tonian. How do you say that? You live in Ottawa. And so you have a whole bunch of experience with maple syrup, I'm sure of it. Yeah, no, it's always it's always the fun thing to do is uh, go to the sugar shack at Kebanesik. And um, yeah, our group of friends for the last few years have, have actually rented it out like on a on a weekday or something. And then we organize bus shuttles to go down and we organize a live band. And it, it's there's a lot of new ones opening, but it's always the old ones, right? They've been around for 50 years, which tend to be the most, uh, the most, um, fun to go down with a group of friends but you're right yeah the whole system and i think correct me if i'm wrong alicia but it's something like for like one pound of maple syrup they got to boil like 10 pound of maple sap the number is like it's crazy the amount of sap you need to make a little bit of maple syrup but yeah great question igor yeah i remember again coming back to the first days in canada we went to urban fair um on the 17th ave here in calgary and then we went to the meat department and I saw sausages with maple syrup and sausages with meat and blueberries and maple syrup and then salmon with maple syrup and then French fries covered with maple syrup. I'm like, what else do you eat with maple syrup? Everything, Igor. I, that's why it almost threw me when you said condiment because like maple syrup is almost a food group. <laughs> It's kind of, Igor, it's kind of like that classic uh, movie Elf, the four food groups, if you guys remember. So what is it? Candy cane, candy corn. What is the third one? I can't remember, but the last is syrup. So <laughs> it's a, it is a part of the four food groups. Yeah, truly Canadian. And now, speaking about Canadian experiences, let's talk about the next question. And this time I'm going to ask you, how many times have the Olympic Games been held in Canada? What category, Igor? Let us know the category. I need that extra hint. Well, Olympic Games would probably fit more into sports, but I guess we'd put it under history yeah. section. That works. Could be culture yeah. too, I guess. Yeah, so... Try to remember how many times did Canada host Olympic Games in its history. Okay, I know that Mark with his kinesiology background already knows the answer. Yeah, I had to memorize every location of the Olympics in the world since the beginning of Greece. Are you serious? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. I, I've, I've looked at the lists numerous times and um, I think I've got this one, but... It just depends on how far back. If I can't, I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything away. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to tip off Cedric here. Well, well, what we do know is every time there's snow in Vancouver, it's <laughs> people always freak out like they didn't host the Winter Olympics a few years ago. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. That was a giveaway. I'll, you know, giving you guys a chance here. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm ready. So, You're um, ready. Three, two, one. You can show your answers. 
All right. So Mark says three, Alicia says three, Cedric says three, and then Prem says eight. And unfortunately, Prem, you're not getting a point for this one because there are just uh, three games held in Canada. And the first what one... What were their years? So Montreal, 76? Yes. Calgary, Calgary. 88? Uh-huh. And Vancouver? And Vancouver? 2010. 2010, yeah. Yeah, but good job, guys. Um, I didn't know that we had an Olympic game in Montreal. Mm-hmm. I would probably answer it too, because those were the times that I sort of remember. Um, even though I was born in 1994, I remember the Olympic Games in Calgary 1988 because of the movie Cool Runnings about the <laughs> gymnast who landed in Canada with shorts, you know, and it was like minus 40 something. <laughs> Yeah, there's the Jamaican bobsled team. There's Eddie the Eagle from UK, who is the ski jumper. And ironically, both of those incidents have now been made into movies. And so, yeah, really cool. And then Montreal was, I think, the only, it, was, it was the only one. The other two were Winter Olympics, but Montreal was a Summer Olympics. And uh, I have very fond memories of Montreal because the very first time I ever went on a plane was in 92, when um, when I flew there for the Barcelona Olympic trials, so obviously I did not go on to the Olympics, but it was it was really cool. And I remember going to Montreal at that time, and we went to a um, it was some kind of a restaurant. I think they served pizza. I, I don't know. I couldn't understand a thing anyone was saying. And my coach, nor the other girl that was with me, she was a a, a distance hurdler, like four hundred meter hurdler. So we both came. She's from Crosnes Pass, and I was from Vulcan. Well, th- those of you who are unaware of the geography in Alberta, Vulcan, Alberta is a small little, a little rural town. And so, yeah, it was so cool. And I got to compete in high jump against my idol, Milt Audi, who was just, he was like a god to me. He was so awesome. He was like, how tall was Milt? Like maybe 5'6 or 5'7. And he jumped like 233. That was his record. Now we've got Andrew Druin and, you know, some of the other high jumpers that have, you know, who won the gold medal at the Olympics that were in their, you know, high 240s. But, you know, my little 205 jump, which is about six foot nine, it, it paled in comparison to Milt. But I remember I got him to sign my shoe too. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was so awesome. Good experience as a kid. Poor farm kid coming from, yeah, rural Alberta. Very cool. Thanks, Igor. Great question. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And we'll move on to the next one. And this one is also fairly easy. What is the main distinction when it comes to the border between Canada and US? So yeah, the border between Canada and the United States holds this distinction. Alicia, stop nodding your head like you know what he's talking about. Border between Canada and U.S. I needed the restated question, and then I and then I think I understand. Yeah, it's gonna require an answer. Yeah, you can you can put a phrase or you can one word. You can answer this question differently. Yeah. So, what makes the border between U.S. and Canada? unique in its own way.
looks like Cedric already knows the answer. Ready to go. Okay, I, I don't know if this is correct, but you have to work with me here, Igor. Okay, on three, two, one, you can show your answers. Okay, so Mark says, longest unguarded border in the world. Prem says, white pillar, which I <laughs> think refers to demarcation <laughs> of the border. Alicia says, longest unfenced um, border between countries and the world. And Cedric, what was your answer? Longest land border. Yeah, so we have three winners. Um, Prem did not get a point this time. Sorry, Prem. You'll get it, Prem. Yes. You'll get it, my friend. Yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, and yeah, so the, the border between Canada and U.S. is the world's longest and longest demilitarized border at almost 9,000 kilometers. And we have 120 uh, ports of entry with U.S., which is pretty cool. I think we have only three points of entry between Ukraine and Poland, and then 120 between Canada and US. One of my favorite ports of entry on the Canada-US border, nope, is Del Bonita. <laughs> Del Bonita, which is located between Carway, which is the port of entry that I worked at when I was going through law school, and Coots. The dreaded coots, the one that we advise people never to go through unless on, on pain of death. And um, yeah, my uh, cousin's husband works at uh, Del Bonita and it's literally prairie all around except two little small buildings, one for the U.S. and one for Canada. And they get a lot of people that come through Del Bonita who are coming up from the U.S. headed to you know Calgary even because their GPS takes them through there as a shorter distance to get to Calgary. So if you ever need to send someone up there and you're trying to avoid Coots and you think, hey, I just want to send people to somewhere other than Coots, what's the closest, closest port of entry? Send them to Del Bonita. And then when the officers say, why in the world did you come to Del Bonita? Because it really is like backwater prairie. They're like, well, that's just where my, uh, my Google Maps took me. So there you go. Little hot tip for today. Yeah. The border between US and Canada is actually very interesting. They have certain streets that you can get to only through the border. And I think the driveway, like there is one street, if I'm not mistaken in Quebec, where the driveway of the building is located on the Canadian side, but the actual premise is located on the US side. And then there's also another story. The guy was driving on the road and then he saw a gas station and he was low on gas. And the entrance to that gas station was from the Canadian side, but the actual gas station was on the US side. And so he pulled over, start, uh, started pumping up the gas. And then the police officer came just to check on his documents. And he had, if I'm not mistaken, he had either a cannabis or a gun. And so they arrested him and gave him like a life <laughs> ban to enter US. Isn't that crazy? No more filling up at that station. Yeah, but good job, guys. Good job. Okay. And we'll move on to the next question, which I have really um, big trouble trying to fit this question into one of the categories. But I would probably leave it uh, in the category of culture, 
because it fits probably the best in this category. But the question sounds like this. So people in Churchill, Manitoba, leave their cars unlocked for safety reasons. Do you know why? So yeah, people are trying to seek safety and that's why they leave their cars open. Would they try to escape? Okay. I see premise thinking. Edric is writing a poem. I'm, I'm actually trying when it I, out. When I think of polar bears, it's a little bit of a darker kind of, you know. Wait, wait, experience. Cedric's drawing. We want to see this. <laughs> I can't wait <laughs> no, to see it. No, no, no. It when, turned when out I, much worse than expected. Like when I think of Churchill, I think of that whole manhunt for those two kids, and it, yeah, it just breaks my heart that you know crazy things happen. But you guys probably remember going across the country, and there's some you know some people got killed, and and then those two guys were fortunately ended up. I think it was in Churchill around there, wasn't it? And uh, somewhere in northern Manitoba, they worked their way across. Do you guys remember? Surely you guys do. Anyways, and then in the end, they. I, I didn't think it was as far as Churchill, though. But maybe didn't maybe didn't go quite that high. I had to go to Google Maps and search where Churchill is. Yeah, it probably was a little bit lower than that, Alicia. Yeah. All right. All right. So you guys can show your answer to three, two, one, and everyone got it right. Oh, and I see the little polar bear that Cedric drew on his piece of paper <laughs> or tried to draw yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so congratulations everyone got it right this time and indeed they tried to escape polar bears and it's one of the several local strategies designed to mitigate those attacks all right so we'll move on to the next question then and this question is also related to Canadian culture, Canadian food industry. And it sounds like this. So this cooking staple derived from the rapeseed plant was created in Canada. So what do we buy in the supermarket, which is developed, in, invented in Canada? I hope Mark gets this one. If I don't, then I'm, I didn't grow up on a farm, <laughs> at least in Western Canada. Yeah. Prem? I don't know if they idea. have, like, are they, is there a lot of rapeseed in Ontario? Like, do they have a lot of that? Um, I think it's lots of cash crops. I think, I mean, I remember specifically Alberta and Saskatchewan, just how yellow <laughs> right? It's just fields of yellow forever. Um, yeah, pretty cool Canadian invention, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so you guys can show your answers on three, two, one. Okay, so Mark says canola oil. Oh, yeah. Cedric says canola oil. Alicia says canola oil. And Cedric uh, and Prem? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good guess. Grapeseed okay. oil. Oh, no. so close. Yeah, very oh. close. Yeah. Yeah, so canola oil was invented in Canada 
and was first produced in 1974 and it takes its name from Canada and oil. So they combine those two words, we have canola oil. Cool. I've got a friend who's in Claire's home, the home of the Rural and Northern Immigration Pilot Program in Alberta. They farm and uh, how it works for a lot of the farmers is they have to choose to lock in their price or just float with the market. And so you're growing the canola with the expectation of, of uh, selling it in the fall. And obviously, if there's a large supply and everybody's crops are good, the price is low. So then at that stage, you'll want to lock it in with these agents and these buyers um, at a certain price. It's kind of like your electricity. Sometimes we can we can lock it in. So you choose. You have to. It's a risk. You have to say, do I lock it in at this price? expecting that it's probably going to be cheaper at the end of the year, like when in the fall when we're harvesting, or do I just run the markets and take the chance and see, because maybe the price that it's going to be more. So it's a little bit of a gamble when you're uh, with, with canola. At least that's the way it was a few years ago. Not sure if that's still the case. So canola. Yeah, very Canadian. And the next question is also very Canadian. So this very popular dog breed originates from Canada. What is the name of this breed? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Uh, let Especially me for that. dog owners. Yeah, I'll repeat. This very popular dog breed originates from Canada. No Googling, eh? <laughs> yeah. No Googling. It's not Chihuahua. <laughs> it's not a Chihuahua? Really? No. <sighs> Originates from Canada. Yeah. Think think titles, Mark. Yeah. Canadian Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> I've never followed dog breeds very closely, so this is one I don't think. You got it, Cedric? Uh, I have a name. <laughs> Dog breed. I think I'm less confident in my answer. Alicia got it right. For sure. I can see by Alicia's face. She's, she's smiling, happy, and at this point. How specific do you have to be? Oh, specific. Very dog specific. is not a valid answer, Mark. <laughs> Four-legged dog. Four-legged dog, yeah. A, a, a doodle. I, 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 right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have it, but I'll, I'll pull one up anyways. Okay, so on three, two, one, you can show it. Okay, so. Husky. Prem. Do you have an answer? No. Patrick says Labrador, and then Alicia says Newfoundland. And this is a very tricky question because Newfoundland is not that popular breed. And then Husky is not the answer to this specific question, but the right answer is Labrador. And oh. so Labrador Retriever. Really? Yeah, also called wow. Labrador and Lab. This breed of sports dog originates in Newfoundland and it was brought to England by fishermen in about 1800s. 
and then it's spread across the whole world, but its origin is in Newfoundland. Really, the Labrador. Yeah. I knew that I, when Alicia had Newfoundland down, I knew there was something with Newfoundland the moment I saw it, but it's, it's lab, really. Like a yeah. black lab, like my Labradoodle. So Simba is actually hails from Canada. I'll have to tell my kids that. Now he's a mini, yeah. so I'm sure he's been smushed and, you know. Repatriated back home. But uh, he would, he'd be a fine, uh, uh, you know, I think he'd be a fine ship dog. But, but the Newfoundland must also originate from Newfoundland, right? I guess so, yeah. But when I was searching for this question, uh, Labrador was the answer. And I remember the only thing that I could imagine about Canada is that it's cold, it's big, there's nothing there, no people, and then they have mm -hmm. this funny name, Labrador. And I'm like, oh, they just called this straight or like whatever, this island. As a, as a cute little doggy, and it appears the doggy was named after this place. So that was well, my... it does say, it, like I just Wikipedia'd it. I think we have to give a leash it, because the Newfoundland dog, it says here, and of course Wikipedia is the, is the prime source of information. It does say Newfoundland was originally bred and used as working dogs for fishermen in Newfoundland in the early 1880s. Fishermen, uh, it says here, and explorers from Ireland were the ones that um, had brought it over so hmm well i think i think we have to give alicia that what we can do we can give alicia and cedric i think so point. yeah i yeah. think so but it, but this dog isn't a labrador right it's a different breed right yeah i don't even yeah. know how newfoundland yeah. works uh, origin like... island of newfoundland modern day canada so yeah oh kind of shaggy yeah, it's a cute dog. Yeah, they're dog. big, they're black. They're yeah, they're they're yeah, yeah. huge. Yeah, I think we got to give Alicia that one. Yeah, I, th right. I think Alicia definitely helped me because when you said to think about titles, the only thing that I knew with the title was Labrador. <laughs> I had Golden Retriever down, and I scratched that out. So well, I was like I titles, I'm like Yorkshire Terrier, <laughs> you know, Alaskan Husky, and I thought oh, I don't know, whatever. Good question. Yeah. Good question. Nice. Nice. So congratulations, Alicia and Cedric. Both of you got a point. And we move on to the next question. And this one is from the... Where are we geography. at? What's the scoreboard update, Igor? What's the scoreboard update? Okay, so let's see. Um, Alicia and Cedric have seven points each. Mark, you have six points. And then Prem has two points. All right. But everything can change because we still have three more questions. So the question number eight sounds like this. What Lake Manitou in Saskatchewan is famous for? So you will have the you will have to name the feature or characteristics of the Lake Manitou that makes it stand out among all other two million plus lakes in Canada. So it's very unique. I would probably say it's one of the most unique lakes in the world, and it's located in Saskatchewan. Actually, not far from Alberta. It's almost on the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. It's a unique characteristic? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, there are lakes that resemble 
Lake 92, but they are very far from the specificity that Lake 92 has. Like this unique feature. Question. This question got you puzzled. Yeah, think of the water in this lake. What can be so unique about it? And you can be more generic in your answer because I understand the concept of trivia does not allow for long answers. Could it be the boiling water? Mm. Cedric looks confident. Uh, confidently wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, confidently wrong. Maybe for our team team meeting, we can go to Lake Manitou <laughs> instead of Banff. And visit this unique site. I don't know. I've got an answer. <laughs> All right. An answer. I'm correct. Okay. So, if everyone is ready, you can reveal your answers at three, two, one. Dries up every year, refills each year. So that is the answer provided by Mark, and that is a wrong answer. Blue water, oh. set prem. And it's the wrong answer. Cedric says salt water. And Alicia, what was your answer? I said high salt, salt content, but I think that's wrong. Yeah, Alicia, you're right. Is it? This okay. is, yeah. So Lake Manitou is known as the Dead Sea of Canada. Ah. You know why? Because Lake Manitou has a salinity content five times higher than the ocean. Can you imagine how salty it is? We're approximately half that of the Dead Sea in Israel and Jordan. Yeah. So fed by underground springs, the lake waters are high in sodium, magnesium, potassium, salt, allowing swimmers to float effortlessly. So imagine yourself going to Israel in Canada. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, very yeah. nice. I actually so wanted too. to go there. Yeah. We actually drove by there. Yeah, we drove by, but it was like... <laughs> We, we miscalculated our ferry time and how long it would take us to get there. So we were trying to get to the Bruce Peninsula. And so Lake Manitou is, is on Manitoulin Island. And we were trying to hoof it to get over to South Baymouth because there's a ferry that goes from South Baymouth to Tombermory. And we were just booking it to try to get over there. The kids had to go to the bathroom. We were like, no, you can't stop. We have to go. We have to hit the ferry. Otherwise, the next ferry is not coming till tomorrow. So we didn't get to see Lake Manitou. We drove right by it really fast. Well, at the speed limit, but there was no, there was no sightseeing. Yeah, I'm super excited to go there and see if you actually can just lay on the water and just float. Very exciting. So is salt water a good answer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yep. I would have oh, yeah? to see <laughs> Okay, I, I thought I got it wrong. Okay. No, 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 Back we give this. it to you. That's close enough. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, we do have two more questions. So 
This one comes from the immigration law section. And it is anticipated that a new language test will become acceptable for expert entry in late 2023. Can you name this test? Okay, I can see expert and expert entry. Mark got the answer in a snap of the fingers. Unfortunately, I couldn't remember salt in Manatee. <laughs> Which ones did I get wrong, Igor? So you got wrong the question seven and eight. Yeah, just to repeat the question, what is the name of the new language test that will be accepted by, anticipated to be accepted by RCC in late 2023? Okay, on three, two, one, you can show it. PTE, PTE, Canada Test of English Test, and then Prem also says Pearson. So, Mark, said uh, Mark, Prem, and Alicia have the right answer and said, Drake, I'm so sorry. Oof, so close. The The first answer was University of Toronto tests, because I think <laughs> something to do with them. Correct me if I'm wrong. No? Is there? Uh, no. Uh, U, of, U of T is the Educational Credential Assessment, ECA. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's cool about this test is that it is assessed by artificial intelligence. So you don't have like people who read through your answers or listen to your speech. It's the artificial intelligence. And it's very unbiased. And I think you can also receive your results like in two days, which is the shortest uh, time span for results. All right, cool. so what's going into the last question here, Igor? What's the what's the scoreboard? So what do we got? For yeah. So let me just calculate. So Mark has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven correct answers. Prem has three correct answers. Alicia has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight correct answers. And then oh. Cedric has eight correct answers. So we have a no. tie. My goodness. Who's going to be the winner? Alicia. <laughs> so it comes down to this. It'll so. be a sports question and I'll blow up. It's okay. No, 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 Alicia. You're, you're safe this time. <laughs> okay. The last question is very easy. At least to me, because I was preparing the question and looking at the answers. But how many time zones are there in Canada? Oh, oh I, looked, I looked at this the other day. I got this. <laughs> you can tell Prem is a client intake specialist. Has, he has to deal with all of the time zones all the time. Okay, I, I, yeah. It's this moment of truth. Where will you? We will find out whether Alicia 
I was counting the time too. How many times are there? Alicia, you write one, I write one, call it a draw. Both one for your champions. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm getting this one right. I, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing. Okay, three, two, one. Show it. Oh my god. Okay, so we do have six zones, and Mark and Prem are correct. Subject. <laughs> We don't have seven time zones. And Alicia, we don't have 5.5 time zones. Isn't there somebody that has the yeah, half an hour? Newfoundland. Yeah, there's a half and, hour. And, and, yeah, there's so a that's half a zone. hour. Yeah. But it's a distinct It's a distinct uh, zone. Yeah. So does that mean we have a distinct zone? What? So I think we have a, I think we have a three-way tie here. Three-way tie? And, yeah, so I hope you've got a tiebreaker. Yeah. Okay, so Mark gets another point. Alicia Wait. does not get a point. Cedric does not get a point, and Prem has a point. So after all of the calculations, so let's take a look. So Mark has eight correct answers. Has Prem has four correct answers. Alicia has four correct answers, and then Cedric has. <laughs> oh Cedric and God. Alicia have eight correct answers. Yeah. Wait a second, Cedric. What? I'm so sorry. I, I said that you have eight correct answers, but I have only seven. That was my oh, I, I knew it. I knew I knew that Alicia was <laughs> Oh my god. But I'm so sorry. IRCC uses the UCT time zone. They do. <laughs> so that leaves us with how many time zones? We don't seven. care what IRCC does. <laughs> well I I just like I understand the point of the UCT time zone, but if you don't do immigration law all day yeah, you spit an application after like six or seven p.m. in Ontario. Yeah, it's like, worse in luck. Alberta. It's, You're done. it's yeah. worse in Alberta. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I just understand what they want to do in terms of time zones, but I think for the layperson, like, <laughs> anyways, yeah, um, it's, a pain. it's always that debate between of... like administering a program and meeting people's individual needs, right? But I feel like mm -hmm. this is kind of just like so weird. Like we're using UCT time zone. Yeah. Um, but anyway, anyways. Yeah, just, so just for like anybody, for anybody who doesn't realize what we're talking about, we're talking about the universal coordinated time, which is what immigration uses as their cutoff. And you always have to be really careful about UTC time because if you think you're submitting your application before your deadline, especially for express entry, and you think you have a deadline of, let's say, March 30th, and you think you're going to go submit that application before, I don't know, before the end of the business day, you're going to submit it around noon or at four in the afternoon. Well, be really, really careful because if your deadline is actually at a certain time, UTC time, depending on your time zone, you probably have you know, up to six or maybe even eight hours earlier than you thought you had before your time cutoff has actually elapsed. And this also applies if you have dependent children, for example, who are going to have a birthday. And that can completely change whether they qualify as a dependent child. So be really careful about UTC time zones. So I'd almost agree with you, Cedric, maybe Canada uses an extra time zone because of IRCC, but technically <laughs> UTC is not within Canada, right? Hey, you got to advocate, right? Cedric, you got to fight for it. Part of the services we offer at Whole Food Immigration Law. <laughs> yes, calculating <laughs> UTC. 
Uh, yeah. I meant more Diablo. So you got a tiebreaker. Yes. So do you got a tiebreaker for us, Igor? You got a tiebreaker? Yeah, let's do it. A tiebreaker. It's gonna be. It's gonna be really I think it should be the first person to have the answer and put the answer to their screen wins. How's that? How's that <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a tiebreaker. Hopefully, it'll be a yeah. numerical one or something where we have to pick a number and then whoever's closest. They tend to be the easiest. Yeah, I guess we we can award Cedric a point for this because as I was trying to find a story oh, no, no. Um, for time zones, here's what I found. So additionally, uh, there are some small areas of Canada, such as certain parts and communities in Nunavut and Northwest Territories that use uh, coordinated universal time UTC instead of a local time zone. So while technically... Northwest Territories and Nunavut would fall under, yeah, uh, central, yeah, and, central, uh, and mountain, mountain time zone. Mm -hmm. Some of them still use UCT, like some communities. No, so, no, I, I was, if I you was practice just... immigration law. Maybe you would move to that community, and <laughs> you will have the problem solved forever. Why are you moving in today, good sir, for the UCT time zone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um if that's the case we have tie three-way tie mark alicia and cedric both have all yeah, three we're generous, cedric yeah if yeah. there's a hint and you can make the case then absolutely yeah cedric's in that's yeah. we're doing a three-way here three-way tie that's yeah. i can't wait to hear next this question time, next time i'm preparing the questions so that we have one winner and his name will be Prem. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Can we count Alicia as a Yeah, third she's the champion? reigning champ. Absolutely. She is. Yeah. Absolutely. She is. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Great trivia. Hopefully the uh listeners were able to score. This was definitely the easiest so far of the three, Igor. I think I think it would have been possible for someone to to get hundred percent. Like it was, it was in that range. It was good. Good, good questions. And I learned a lot too. So thanks so much for the time you put in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Canadian immigration podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holthylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.